So I think it's important for us to remember where we are in the Gospel of Luke to really understand um, what's going on in this story. If you missed last Sunday, um, I'll try to fill you in a little bit. Uh, Jesus, he gets on a boat uh, with his disciples and the boat gets hit by this great storm and the disciples are panicking. Although they are, they are professional fishermen, they are used to the sea. Uh, they are freaking out because, you know, this situation is so devastating. They feel like the boat is about to sink. They're about to die. So they wake up. They say to Jesus, do you not care for us? And what Jesus does is he wakes up from his sleep. And he was sleeping in the middle of this storm, not because he doesn't care, but because he's in control. He's in control of the winds and the waves. And with a single word, he silenced the storm. He says, stop. And the winds and the waves, they stop. It's complete silence, calm, peace. He changes everything. And the question that is asked by his disciples is this. Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Who is this guy? I mean, I, I, I know that he does miracles. I know that his teaching is great. I've seen him do wonders in people's lives. But who is this guy that he has power even over nature. According to our knowledge, there's only one person who can do that. that. That's God himself. And so who is this guy? And with that in mind, we jump to today's story because what happens next after this great miracle, after this, this great incident that Jesus calms the storm is that Jesus and his disciples, they go to the other side. Um, they go to this city, this pagan city. It doesn't belong to the territory of Israel, meaning that it's outside of the covenant land. Uh, normally, Jewish people, they don't travel to these lands because they believe that Gentiles are unclean. So they don't want to mix with, with Gentiles. And Jesus, he goes to this city. He steps off the boat. And the first thing that happens is he meets this guy who is so messed up. It's probably one of the most messed up human beings in all of scripture. So last week, we had a messy situation that was causing all this confusion. This week, we have a very messy person, someone who's so messed up that, that you, you don't want to be near this person. And yet, what we see is that this man who has authority and power to calm the winds and the waves. Instead of oppressing people with his power, he frees people. And that's really the, the gist of today's story. And so look, let's look at the story because Luke gives us great detail on, on, on how messed up this man really is. Uh, we really can see three things from, from the details. In verse 27, we read that when Jesus stepped out of the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. So the first thing that we notice about this person is this person is spiritually enslaved. This person is spiritually enslaved. Now we have seen demons before in the Gospel of Luke. This is not the last time we're going to see demons again. And so um, uh, as much as I want to go into detail about all what's, what demons are about, I think the focus today is really on this man. But just notice that it's not just one demon that is possessing this man. But it says that this man from the city had demons, uh, multiple demons. In fact, later on, when Jesus is having a conversation with this guy, this guy is so out of it that instead of him speaking on his own, demons are speaking through him. And in verse 30, when Jesus asks him, what is your name? He says, legion. 
for many demons had entered him. The word legion was a word that was used in the Roman military, uh, the largest group of, of soldiers that can gather. Uh, most people say that it would be a gathering up to 6,000 people. And so we don't know exactly how many demons or unclean spirits are, are influencing this man, but it's a lot. It's not just one demon that is possessing this man. Multiple demons are possessing this man. This man does not have control over what he says. This man does not have control over what he does. This man is heavily influenced by demonic spirits. So spiritually, this man is enslaved. And that's really the source of all this confusion and this chaos in this man's life. But the next thing that we see is that not only is he spiritually enslaved, but he's mentally insane. He's mentally insane. It says in verse 27, he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. So this guy is from the city, but he doesn't live in the city. Why? Because he is not living among people. He's living among tombs. He's living in a graveyard. And, and we know that uh, during Jesus' time, a lot of the cities, they had their graveyards outside of the city because, you know, um, a lot of times these graveyards were considered unclean, unpleasant. So we kind of get an idea that this man is living in isolation. This man is living alone. We don't know if the city people kicked him out or himself. He decided to move out of the city and live in isolation. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we know that he is removed from society and he has lost his humanity. He has lost his humanity. In verse 27, we are also told that for a long time, he had worn no clothes. And this is not an issue of being inappropriate. It's an issue of of losing your dignity and decency as a human being. One of the most most shameful things that can happen in your life is you losing your clothes, right? Um, Maybe some of you are picturing at this point Tarzan or Mowgli, uh, but I want you to know that it's not like this guy has six-packs and, like, nice hair. That's not the picture that we have. Literally, for a long time, for days, it's not just moment to moment this guy is going streaking. This guy is living without clothes. This guy is basically living as an animal. This person is dehumanized. Like, it's almost like this, this man is, is like this beast in the wild. A picture of a person who loses dignity and decency. And in Mark 5, we are given some more detail about the same story. It says, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying, always crying out, and cutting himself with stones. So it's not that this man just doesn't have clothes on him, but he is so, in so agonized, like he's in so much pain. He, he is crying out day after day, night after night, And it's not that he's just crying out with his loud voice, but he is cutting himself with stones. He's harming himself. He's destroying himself. That's how mentally unstable and lost this this person is. He is in so much pain that he's trying to harm himself to overcome that pain, which, you know, and yet nothing is really happening. There's no solution. It's not helping him at all. Like, it's just deepening the wounds So this person is spiritually enslaved, mentally insane, and physically out of control. This man is physically out of control. It says in verse 29, in parentheses, for many a time it seized him. And he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So here we see that people of the town of the city, 
they try to do their part. I don't know why they would put this man in, in shackles and in bondage. Maybe it was to help him because he was harming himself so much. So he's, they're trying to control him to some degree. Maybe it was because they were scared of him. You know, they don't want children to go near to him. So, you know, to contain him somehow because he's so unpredictable. We feel like he's unsafe. And so somehow they're trying to control this guy. But he's so strong. He's so empowered by these demons that he's out of control physically. He's able to break even these, these heavy chains and, and shackles. And, and, and he goes free. He is loose. And he goes to the desert. He goes to all these different places freely. And what's ironic is although physically he is so free, nothing can control him. Nothing can keep him uh, at one place. Internally, he is so bound. Like physically liberated, internally enslaved. And I think that's how a lot of times we live our lives, right? Where we might have the physical freedom to do all these different things, but internally we, we are living in pain and in, in torment. We are being driven by demonic forces. And to the point where people don't want to come near you. People feel like you're out of control. And so we read in verse 28 that it's not just his actions that are out of control it's his words that are also out of control when he saw Jesus he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice what have you to do with me Jesus son of the most high God now this seems like a positive sign because this man is worshiping Jesus humbly falling down on his face but you kind of know that at this point this is not the man that's speaking this is probably the demons that are speaking through him this is so similar to the guy who had this unclean demon in Luke 4 uh, where they were afraid when Jesus approached them so a couple of things that we learned about the demons that are in this man is that they know who Jesus is they recognize his identity and also they recognize his power and authority they are aware that they are unclean, but yet Jesus is holy. So they are terrified of Jesus. They don't want Jesus to come near. They know that the final judgment belongs to Jesus. And so simply standing in front of Jesus is torture to them. So they're saying, I beg you, do not torture me. And so this man is spiritually enslaved, mentally insane, physically out of control. In other words, this brother has issues, deep issues. It's really hard to find another person who's so messed up like this guy in the Bible and in society today. Uh, this guy is so far gone that it seems like his life is beyond repair. It seems like his, his life is beyond being able to be saved. He has no hope mentally, physically, spiritually. He is just gone. And at this point, if this person lived in your town, in your streets, you would say to your children, hey, don't go out at night. Just keep your distance from this guy just walk away, hide. Um, you, you wouldn't try to make an effort to change this person. You would probably give up. Um, you know, it's over for this man. He's far too gone. And we would give up on a person like this. Yet Jesus, what we see is that he doesn't give up. And yet he approaches this man with confidence. And he speaks with clarity. And that's what's so different about Jesus and everyone else. Jesus Although he has all the power in the world, he doesn't use that power to abuse people, to oppress people, to simply have his way with people. He uses that power to free people. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great news? 
that all the world leaders, the, the politicians, as much as we pray for them, as much as they have great careers and there are a lot of great people, we know that when power is involved, that people are so easily neglected and abused and rejected, and yet we have a God who controls the universe, who controls the winds and the waves, who controls nature with the sound of his voice. And he uses that power not to destroy us, not to condemn us, not to oppress us, but he uses that power to free people, to save people, to change people, to transform people. And that is the good news, that it's not that Jesus just has power, but he cares about people, that he came to save the broken, the lost and so we see in verse 29, he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of this man. In verse 31, they begged him not to command them to depart from the abyss. And so now a large herd of pigs, they were feeding on the hillside. And Mark, in his account of this story, he tells us that it's about 2,000 pigs, a lot of pigs. And this is, again, this is how you know that this is probably not a, a Jewish country because uh, Jews would never raise pigs in such a way. Uh, they don't eat them. They don't associate with them. So this is probably a Gentile city. 2,000 pigs are right there. And the demons, legion, they beg him, beg Jesus to enter into these pigs. And so Jesus gives them permission. And so these demons go into these pigs, and it says in verse 33, Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and they, then the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake and drowned. Like, imagine that scene. About 2,000 pigs running into water and all dying. And before you say, that's absolutely cruel, that, that I feel for the pigs, like, how can Jesus do such a horrible thing to the poor pigs. Well, first of all, if you eat bacon, uh, like, you're out of the picture, right? Like, yeah, like, if, if you never touch bacon in your life, then okay, after, after a sermon, please correct me. We can have a conversation about that. But uh, if you never ate meat and, and because of that, but uh, we don't know exactly why the pigs died in such a way. But there are a couple of things that, that we can highlight about Jesus. Number one is this, that... Jesus has absolute power over demonic forces. That when the demons, they want to go somewhere, he, they need permission from Jesus. They ask Jesus, can we go into the pig? So it's not, first of all, it's not, it wasn't Jesus' idea. It was the demons that came up with the pig idea. And so you're like, okay, we're unclean in, in our spirit. Uh, I think the fitting place for us is to go into animals that are considered unclean. So, and Jesus gives that permission. The second thing that we see is this. I think Jesus is incredibly kind and gracious in this incident because he's probably thinking of this man who was demon-possessed. Like this man was so broken and messed up that probably Jesus wanted this man to have a picture, a scene that he would remember for the rest of his life. Every time he's tempted to go back to his old ways, every time he's tempted to fall under the same influence and live according to the ways not of God but of the demons, that he remembered this picture of 2,000 pigs running into the water, a display of Jesus' authority and power over evil spirits. And the third thing is this, I think. What we learn from this incident is that Jesus values your soul more than pigs. Like 2,000 pigs, that, that's probably a lot of money. That's, that's pretty precious and valuable, and yet Jesus is willing to throw that all into the water if it would have an impact for one, to save one soul. And so Jesus values the human soul. He values people 
even though they are dehumanized, isolated from society, no matter how messed up they are, the Bible reminds us that a person is a person. And so should we treat people in the same way. People have issues. People live messy lives. But that doesn't mean that we can take away their humanity, that we can look down on them and treat them as an, and as, as an animal or as an, as an object and, and, and neglect them. And no, Jesus, he places value on this human soul. And so it says in verse 35, when all this happened, the people went out to see what happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in the right mind. Two things that are very different from before. This man is now clothed. It's a sign that his humanity is restored, that his dignity, his decency is restored. And it says in his right mind, he is no longer insane. He's no longer following all these lies of of the demons, and yet he's in his right mind. And people are now all afraid because they're like, what is going on? Like this, this Jewish guy who came into the country. Like, he's doing all these miracles, and, like, we've never seen anything like this before. And so they are so afraid that they asked Jesus to leave. But it says in verse 36, those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And so they're so afraid that they're like, man, you know, like, you have to leave Jesus. And so Jesus gets on the boat, and he goes back to where he came from. So there's one thing that he did in this city. After crossing the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, he heals a man who was demon-possessed, and he goes back. And I think the reason why he does this is because he wants us to understand that with his ultimate power, he does not oppress us. He sets us free. And it's not just decent people that he sets free, the messiest people of life, the people who seem so far off and far away from God, even the Gentiles that seem undeserving of the good news. Jesus is willing to go to their life interact with them on a personal level and display his love for them and set them free. Now, um, so now the question is, how do we apply this text in our personal life? I think when we hear the story of Peter, the story of, 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 of other great people like Moses or David, we, like, we can relate to them because it seems like they're pretty decent. They're good people. They just have some flaws in their lives and we're like, yeah, that's kind of me. I can relate to that person. When it comes to the man like this, this is like, oh, man, yeah, I can picture other people in my life. But it's, it's hard for me to see myself in this story, right? I don't know how many of you have been demon-possessed before. I don't know how many of you have, have hurt yourself before or walked under the influence in such a way that you lost control over your life. And, and so it's easy for us to say that, okay, this is a great story, most likely irrelevant because I'm not this bad of a condition. But the Bible reminds us that this is not a picture that is out in the blue, but this is a picture that represents the fallen nature of humanity. Now, you might not be displaying all these things physically, but the Bible reminds us that everyone who is outside of Christ, before they meet Christ, every single one of us, we are in bondage, that we are bound by chains, we are oppressed by the enemy, and we are tormented in our souls, and we live in isolation, first with God and with other, the gospel community, that, that, that we are so broken and messy in, in various ways, and the good news is that Jesus, he sees us through, and he changes something about our lives. It's in Ephesians 2, and maybe you can turn there if you want to. Ephesians 2 is a great passage that shows us really how the gospel transforms us. And Ephesians chapter 2 begins like this. And you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In other words, you are basically dead. Not living among the dead, you are basically dead. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, a.k.a. Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience is at work in you, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Bondage and sin, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature wrath, uh, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the Bible tells us that in various ways that we have been influenced by not just our sin, but by the evil one, by Satan, the devil. And I truly believe this when I see children. I truly believe that it's not just our fallen nature that is sin, but the enemy is, is, is leading people in a way that is not of God, that is distant from God. Just think about all the things that you have to say to children, whether you're a teacher or maybe a volunteer, a parent. Um, you don't have to teach your child how to lie. They just automatically know how to lie. You have to teach them how to say what is true. You don't have to teach your child how to contain their temper. Uh, sorry, you have to teach your child how to contain their temper, not teach them how to lose their temper. It's because naturally, they can lose their temper. They can lose their cool. You don't have to teach your child you know, uh, to, to, to gossip or to say hurtful things. They're naturally going to do that. Like, you have to teach them how to say loving things, how to be kind, how to understand other people and, and love other people and care for people. The truth is, if you just think about all the instructions that you give to children, it reveals two things. Number one, that from our nature, Inherently, we are sinful and selfish and self-centered. We don't desire the things of God. Rather, we are alienated from God. And, and it's so hard to walk away from the, these things. Although children know that these things are bad, constantly they go back to these things. Why? Because there's an enemy that is constantly possessing them, driving them to think a certain way, act a certain way, desire a certain thing. So we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter brokenness in our lives. <laughs> Some of you might say, well, Demon possession, that seems really, really scary, and, and I, 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 I never really encountered anything that, that, that scary before. But in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Some of us might not know that Satan is actually actively working dramatically in our lives because he doesn't display himself as a hungry lion, he displays himself as an angel of life. A lot of times, the way that Satan brings us to destruction is not by bringing all this trouble and, and, and pain in our lives. It's through a simple lie, by making us content what the world, with what the world has to offer, by, by allowing us to live a life that is, is divided, that our hearts are divided. And so many of us, Actually, every single one of us, in order for us to discover the reality of the gospel, we have to see ourselves in this story as the man who was so messed up and broken. And it says in verse 4 of Ephesians 2 that, But God, who was rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's the good news. And so now we have a story to share this man, he said to Jesus, Jesus, can I come along with you? I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. And I love what Jesus says 
at the end of this story, he says in verse 39, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And so this man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. If you are saved by Jesus, you have a story to share. And that story is not about how great you have been or how much you have done to earn God's favor. That story is about declare how much God has done for you. Is anyone nervous when they share the gospel? Does anyone kind of get intimidated when they're talking about Jesus? Um, I think the reason why we get nervous and, and we get intimidated is because we try to make our testimony just all about what we have done. It's all about me. I prayed this prayer. I realized this. I did this, this, this. When the Bible teaches us that our testimony is about how broken we were and yet but God. But God rich in mercy. But God full of grace and truth. But God. It's all about God and all that he has done. You know, this morning I was... I was, I was hitting Safeway because I had to pick up some water and, and some snacks for our, our uh, membership class and uh, early in the morning. And I was about to walk into the store, and I see this guy walk up to me. And you can clearly tell he was homeless. Uh, he was saying these things, and, and, and I couldn't understand uh, what he was trying to say. And he comes to me, and, um, and he says, uh, well, do you have a dollar? I think in, in other times, I would have thought, well, okay, like, you know, it's not surprising that I encounter someone like this in, in, in Nova. And so I would kindly say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I don't really carry on cash. Um, but I was remembering the sermon that I was about to preach, right? And, and, and I was prepared to say that, you know, no one's outside of God's reach. And so, first of all, I, I asked him, wait, what's your name? And he says his name is Peter. And I'm like, great. At least he has, has some sort of Christian connection here. Like, something's going on. Okay, man, that's great, like Peter. And he says, I asked him, hey, yo, why, why do you just need a dollar? And so he said, you know, he's like, you know, he just wants to be honest. He actually, he's, he's trying to get some money to, to buy some cigarettes. And, and, um, and just he wants to kind of just do some things. And, uh, and he asked me, oh, if you don't have money, can you buy me cigarettes? And I was debating, right? Okay, in the Bible it doesn't say, thou shall not buy others cigarettes, Right? <laughs> But, like, should I do this? But I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry, but would you like a meal? Or uh, is there something else that you want? I'm right in front of a Safeway. I'll, I can grab you a drink or something else. And, and he said, oh, okay, oh, then I'd like a cup of coffee. And, and so I go in, get a cup of coffee, um, and we just start talking. And, and I ask him some questions. I ask him, hey, how long have you been on the streets? He said, about two years. Um, I asked him, like, hey, like, what, what was going on? And he's just sharing his entire life story. And, that, and I was actually sharing that, um, you know, he said that he was going to, uh, you know, yeah, that he was later on going to a church to, to get some food. And I told him, yeah, actually, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And uh, I'm a, I believe in Jesus, and I'm, I'm about on my way to go to church. And, and so at that moment, it turned into, like, a questioning God moment, right? He's asking all these questions, like, hey, pastor, do you think, you know, God actually listens to our prayers. Do you think that if I pray that those actually happen, that, that life, are, or is he like, does every, is everything already determined that like I don't have to pray? Like is, is this just like the destiny of my life? And we're having a conversation. 
And then, and it's a great conversation. I was talking about my perspective on prayer, how prayer really is a privilege uh, when you understand that God and Jesus Christ can be your father and, and how sometimes God answers our prayers out of grace. Sometimes he doesn't because he loves us so much. He doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. And, and I was saying all this. And then at the end of the day, he, before we were about to, to go, I, I, asked, I asked him, is there anything I can pray for you? And, and he shared how he doesn't want to live this way. Now, his biggest fear is actually every night he wonders as he's sleeping on the streets, what would happen to me? Like, and he's, he doesn't want to live this way, but he just doesn't know how to live differently. And so I prayed for him, and then he said, man, Pastor, you can probably use me in your sermon illustration today. Right? You, you can say that you got it. And I was like, you're right. I'm going to use the sermon illustration. Uh, but at that moment, I was able to share, you know, but let me tell you what actually I was about to preach. In this Bible, there's this guy who meets Jesus. He's absolutely a mess. A guy who is mentally unstable. A guy who is isolated from society. A guy who feels like he, there's nothing that can happen in his life to change his life. And Jesus comes into the picture. And we don't know exactly how all this works, but one thing that we do know is Jesus has all power and he's willing to change the most messiest, broken people in, in this life. And so I just want to know you that don't give up. You know, continue to live, and, but also with hope and and so we were having some great conversations, how we can follow up and, and try to live differently. And, and, and I think one thing that I was reminded of is that not only did I need to be remembered, reminded of that God's grace is really what drives my witness, is that the fact that Jesus, he, his heart is for the lost, that there's no one outside of the reach of, 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 of God. No matter how broken this person seems like, no matter how how dehumanized this person seems like, no matter how, 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 how little this person uh, seems like, Jesus cares for that person. And he gives us a story to share if we're in Christ. And today, I think we have to remember that as our mission team is going, I think that's the motivation that we have. That's why we worship today and sing these songs today where we say that, you know, I trust the Lord because he answers us, because he saves us and he liberates us. The fact that he did all this for us, if you are this man in this story, there's nothing that you can't do for Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. And so let's worship him today. Let's give our lives to him today. Let's worship a God who has all power, and yet he doesn't use that power to simply control us, but uses that power to liberate us so that we would be free to live in love and in adoration and in all of his glory. Amen? Let's pray.